Curved Triangle, Part 2. For so many years, I thought it seemed boring to have faith. There didn't seem much shine to it, unless you watch some of the more charismatic preachers who go to great lengths to make it appear like performance art, but then it becomes ridiculous. I thought the struggle of life was the fun, only to find out that everyone clawing their way up this pyramid is silently miserable. Miley Cyrus's song, called It's the Climb, makes me shudder as she instructs people to believe that the clawing and scratching on the slippery Teflon hill is the way. No, Miley, I'm sorry, it's the slide. There's a saying, faith will tell me Christ is present when my human senses fail. That's a statement I believe, but the senses do have their moments. Three things tell me God is present. Silence can suggest to me that God is present. Words can make me believe. In both of these, hearing is the sense that can make me believe in the invisible. Silence is often the best way to hear. When there's no silence, I can always go to silence in the chapel of the heart. When I'm in the world, among all its noise, I can often hear God's love in a voice or a song or a sermon or even while reading. When I'm reading text, I can hear it. Hearing is the only sense that can really prove God's presence to me, with seeing being a fine complementary sense as the old argument from beauty. That may not be the proof of God's existence, that is the most convincing, but it sure is useful and convincing when you are watching a sunrise or you're hearing a baby laugh or you're beholding a giant oak tree or you're seeing a deer or a fox in the wild. But hearing can touch reason and faith all at the same time through prose or verse, from a sermon or a song or even spoken words. I can hear by reading, too. When you hear the words that move you, they cut you to the quick. The truth shuts out all of the nonsense, if only for a moment, and the yearning and struggle suddenly makes sense. In any given day, I can flip this pyramid over the wrong way again. It's so easy to flip it back to the difficult way rather than the restful way. When I remember that it's a bowl, that I can turn it back over, that it's a nest, then I can slide down into the center again, if only for a little bit, to the place where I can turn toward God. All of the busy noise disappears for a bit. The things that cause hurt or anxiety, whether perceived or real, no longer matter when you're in the center. The word of God strikes at the center of you and resonates. The notion that faith is boring becomes preposterous, and life without faith becomes a far more boring existence. The empty life is that of constant struggle. The life without meaning is the one that you always are climbing without ever resting. That life without faith is the one that must do something and never stops to pray. When you hear the right words and you turn to God, there's nothing so exciting in your life 
because you have that cheat code to understanding while retaining the mystery itself. You can revel in the mystery as suddenly the center is not so far away, but you can only reach that center and stay there if you let go of yourself. A few years ago, I discovered some hard questions that needed to be asked. The death of ego is a difficult thing and it never stays dead. And I'll probably never keep it down for more than an hour or five minutes at a time. But some of those questions that I found were as follows. How much silence did I have or could I have had if I turned off the phone in my pocket? Did any of the time I spent in the past year bring the world's troubles to an end? Does anything that I do today give me control over problems that are already unleashed across the world? Does anyone seriously think we will eradicate all that we dislike? How much time spent worrying have I wasted? How many nights sitting up with anxiety have I spent over the past year or two? Did I spend the day angry and frustrated, or did I let go of control and offer it up to God? Those are just some of the questions that I've thought about recently. Most of us during this era of the pandemic wasted the la this past year's opportunity. For most of us who were told to stay home during the pandemic, who were not in healthcare jobs, we had a gift of time that may have been squandered. To hear, to listen and understand what was missing in our lives, we had a 22 month period of time just now. Most of us just continued more of the same things we did before the pandemic, and that is doing something without realizing that the great gap in time offered to us was a chance for reflection and change. And most of us heard nothing in that silence because we sought out noise of the busy world of social media, especially in America, as political turmoil and elections drowned out a glorious silence that was available. Alongside that, excessive buying and selling of hot tubs and cars and houses and appliances consumed us. These consumer things, these material things, they consume us, our time, our value, our worth. And as the saying goes, the things you own end up owning you. Then there was the drinking and eating to excess, or conversely the furious diet and exercise in response to previous overindulgences. This yo-yo of thinness and obesity happens to so many of us that we might just consider standing on a treadmill and running while we simultaneously shovel Oreo cookies and ice cream into our faces. We may have changed our pursuits and wants in the pandemic, but many of us just traded one unfulfilling desire for a different one. The best things in life are free, and there are very few things that are free, but they are there, and prayer is one of those things. Will it change the world? Maybe not. But will it change you? Without a doubt. I will say the pandemic opened up a listening post for me, like I was given a chance to climb to a cliff overlooking a valley that contained the whole world, and I could look down and see the world 
differently, and when I shouted down into the abyss, I could only hear the echo of myself, which just came back like nonsense, just my own voice in a weaker form. My voice, thrown down into the valley of the world, could do nothing but either be drowned out or be bounced around in the rocky walls before coming back in this powerless, pathetic echo. Or instead, on that cliff, I could turn my head upward. I could look upward toward heaven, and without even opening my mouth in silence, there I could hear everything. And suddenly, everything, as if I had found the Aleph from Jorge Louis Borges' short story, where he saw infinity from standing in a certain spot in the cellar of an old house that was about to be demolished. Uh, this is a short story that has almost biblical sounds to it. He says, I shut my eyes and I opened them and then I saw the Aleph. On the back part of the step toward the right, I saw the small iridescent sphere of almost unbearable brilliance. At first I thought it was revolving and then I realized that this movement was an illusion created by the dizzying world it bounded. The Aleph's diameter was probably little more than an inch, but all space was there, actual and undiminished. There's a few different writers, like Borges or William Wordsworth or Walt Whitman. They were all writers that seemed to have found this infinite spot where they could see the world all at once, and then even past the world. They could look beyond the world, and... Dostoevsky, to me, is one of those writers that must have had an aleph in his cellar of his own house to be able to see so many worldly and otherworldly perspectives. But this gift isn't only available to writers or artists like them. The artists may be special in their ability to articulate this infinite place, but everyone can get there. A painter or writer is not needed to experience the same thing, as no artist can capture what each person can feel and know in their own experience of reason and faith. The great philosophers often become famous for recording ideas that have bounced around in most people's heads at one time or another, and their fame is for spelling it out in official jargon. Everyone has the gift, and philosophers and artists can only attempt to reproduce it and they can never do it justice in their drawing or writing. Even the most unartistic person in history has access to God because they can come to rest in the nest of the presence of the Trinity. Here's a quote from Book Two of The Imitation of Christ. God's kingdom lies within you. You must turn to him, the Lord, with all your heart and leave this wretched world behind you if your soul is to find rest. You must make room deep in your heart. It is for the inward eye, all the splendor and beauty of him. Deep in your heart is where he likes to be. And where he finds a man whose thoughts go deep, he is a frequent visitor. If you really direct your gaze inwards and rid yourself of uncontrolled affections, then you can turn to God at will, lifted out of yourself by an impulse of the spirit and rest in him contentedly. So what that's saying is that this is available to every person 
and knowledge or skill has nothing to do with finding this place. In fact, the sign of the cross represents this perfectly as God is above in heaven. Jesus came here down to earth and the Holy Spirit enters and fills your heart across your chest. The sign of the cross by itself can be an amazing prayer if you say it slowly as you contemplate God above, beyond what we can understand, and you can use your intellect and will, your reason and faith to attempt to understand that he's reaching out to you, he's calling to you, and then you move your hand down to your heart, to the Son, to Jesus, who shows us how to live, and you can imagine him sitting next to you or in front of you as you pray, as you do the sign of the cross, and you know that he came to earth as one of us and knew every suffering, plight, and struggle that we do. He experienced it. And lastly, moving across your chest, you can request the Holy Spirit to come and be with you as Jesus promised that he would not leave us orphaned, that he would send us the advocate, the presence of God, the third person of the Trinity, to be here with us always. So you can get all of that from doing the sign of the cross, that short sacramental that we rush through so we can start another prayer. If you slow down, that motion is a prayer all by itself and maybe one of the best prayers. The great questions have an answer when you turn away from the world. The world doesn't have the answers. And once I realized that silence and listening was a possibility, I realized that I could find the quiet whether I was alone or in a crowd. The silence is actually always available, even when standing among a hundred other souls. When you turn away from the world towards God, what is happening, and happening around you no longer matters so much. I'm not saying it's not important, but you can find that peace. I was facing the wrong direction. For most of my life, I was facing the world, facing the crowd, seeing the action and the excitement as attractive, when it was more like a pit of entrapment. Only in listening did I come to hear the word, capital W, and understand what the word actually meant. Three ways of listening helped me. One, listening through silence and listening for the presence of God. I'm not saying I hear voices or he talks to me, but there's the attempt and the belief that he is there. Two, spending time with faithful Christians who live their faith made a huge difference from when I was around hypocritical ones or angry Christians. Once you find a group of people that are very calm and believe what they're, what they're um, practicing, it makes a big difference. And three, by reading and contemplating and by being moved and challenged by the four gospel accounts and the Old Testament and early writings from the early church. In seeking, I came to accept the mysteries and see their power. Also in reading some of the more mystical writers of the church, like St. John of the Cross or St. Teresa of Avila, you start to find meaning in there that I had glossed and skipped right over of a depth far beyond any pagan myths of the Greeks or Romans or scientific fact 
unearthed in the Enlightenment. And both of those things are also important things to learn, as I find mythology from other cultures and scientific fact to be immensely interesting, but not ultimately fulfilling. And then, in the sacraments of the church, I saw the invisible become visible, and the, the word sacred became real again. To me, that was a miracle all by itself. And you won't understand what I mean unless you have lost all sense of what the word sacred means, or you never believed in anything sacred in the first place. Because when suddenly the sacred shows up as real, you cannot be the same person. There was one other thing. There was the end of competition, too. There was Jesus. In the center of all this was Jesus, waiting for me to wake up and notice him, to recognize his sacrifice and his risen glory. I'm reminded of James Joyce's description of the artist in his book, The Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, where he said, The God of creation remains within, or behind, or beyond, or above his handiwork, invisible, refined out of existence, indifferent, paring his fingernails. I love that James Joyce said God is up there paring his fingernails, just kind of hanging out calmly, uh, enjoying his masterpiece of the world that we live in, nature, um, people, all of those things. And then you have also the idea of Jesus seated next to God. And I always thought this idea of him sitting was a bit strange, but I've read C.S. Lewis, who had a great description of why it makes sense, which I won't go into here, but Jesus is there. He's always there. He's already done the work, taking on the sins of the world, and has been tortured and crucified for us. Yet most of us aren't even bothering to look up to him because we're so fixated on our own pride and schemes in life. He is resting. Jesus is resting. He's not jumping around, not yearning for your favorite football team on Sunday to win. He's not willing you to choose the right diet. He is seated next to the living God, hearing our prayers until he comes again. So unless I can get to the middle of the triangle between the points of self-hatred, self-righteousness, and indifference, I can't see the light of faith as well. But if I flip my 